three weeks. Am I on? How come I can't? Maybe because, anyways. I am on though, right? Okay. I think I did this last time too. Um, I did on. It's been about three weeks since we were last in uh, Second Kings, so I want to encourage you, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Second Kings chapter eight as we cover this chapter. It's interesting. Couple, uh, the last time we were in it, three weeks ago, we actually covered two whole chapters, and I'm just going to cover one chapter tonight. I don't know um, how long it will go, but. We'll see how it goes. If we finish early, we finish early. I always threaten to finish early. I never do. But I always threaten, or I always think in my mind that I will. And I hardly ever have done that. But as we get into Second Kings chapter 8, we continue in the ministry of Elisha. Um, but midway through this chapter, the narrative will change, if you will. Um, the focus will go back to the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom being Israel, the southern kingdom being Judah. Now, it's not that we have not been talking about the kings because because they've been in 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 the mix as we've been going through the ministry of Elisha. But but now the focus will be changing. The first part of it, we will continue to see the life of Elijah. And we will see him again several more times. But his ministry will be coming to a close pretty soon. And we'll go back just focusing on the kings of uh, Judah and uh, Israel. I want to remind you, though, um, as we get into this chapter of God's faithfulness. And, and, and again, I hope I could do it some justice in what the Lord's really been ministering to me in this first part of, of, of chapter eight. Um, but I want to remind you of God's faithfulness. When, when we think that we're really not important in the whole grand scheme of things, think again. I know, I know logically we could look at all that goes on in the world, and we think, who am I? Why, you know, I'm very insignificant. If we think of where we live in comparison to all the world, uh, we're just like, where's feeling, you know? Who, who lives in feeling type stuff? But, but God sees it all. He knows it all. He knows where you're at right now. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what you're battling through. I don't know what is happening in your life. But when you think that you're not that significant in God's economy, think again. You really, really are. You see, there is a God in heaven who knows it all and he sees it all. He doesn't forget you, ever. Even when you think he does, he has never, ever forgotten about you. His thoughts towards you are like the sands of the sea, you know. He, he, he's created you before time began. He knew all about you. All those kinds of things, you know, that we, when we look at the whole grand scheme of things, God has it under control and you're that important. You really are. And so, I don't know how all that's going to tie in tonight. We'll see if it does. Maybe it doesn't, but we'll see. Second Kings chapter eight. Let's, let's read the first six verses. It says, Then Elijah spoke to the woman 
whose son had been uh, he had restored to life, saying, Go, arise and go, you and your household, and stay wherever you can, for the Lord has called for a famine. And furthermore, it will come upon the land for seven years. So the woman arose and did according to the saying of the man of God. And she went with her household and dwelt in the land of the Philistines seven years. It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines and went to make an appeal to the king for her house and for her land. Then the king talked to Gehazi, the servant of the man of God, saying, Tell me, please, all the great things Elisha has done. Now it happened as he was telling the king how he had restored the dead to life that there was the woman whose son he had restored to life, appealing to the king for her house and for her land. And Gehazi said, My lord, O king, this is the woman, and this is her son whom Elijah restored to life. And when the king asked the woman, she told him, So the king appointed a certain officer for her, saying, Restore all that was hers, and all the proceeds of the field from the the day that she left in the land until now. So this whole story is just kind of like, just blew my mind. It's been blowing my mind as I've been reading it for this past week. And and, and I just kind of have sensed the faithfulness of God here as I've been covering it. You see, as we look at verses 1 and 2 here, it says that Elijah spoke to the woman whose son he had restored to life. If you remember, this is the Shunammite woman back from chapter 4. Back in chapter 4, again, there was an incident that happened in the beginning of the chapter where, where, where Elisha had gone to the sons of the prophets, to like the school of the prophets, and one of the prophets had died, and the, and the woman that was there, she, she had nothing. And, and, and God used Elisha to, to minister to this woman because she had nothing. And God just miraculously provided for her in abundance. And then right after that story, we get to, to this woman here, the Shunammite. And she's from a land called Shunam, which wasn't far south from uh, Jezreel. And this woman was, was totally different from this other woman. She had a husband. She was well off, it told us. She was a noble woman that, that had the means, the wherewithal. And as, and as Elijah had been traveling back and forth from Samaria to Jezreel, she tells her husband one day, you know what, let's build this guy a room. He's coming back and forth and all he's doing is just blessing people all the time. His ministry is all about ministering to others, pouring out to others. I don't know what he has, what he doesn't have, but let's build this guy a room. 
And all this woman wanted to do was bless him. Now, they had the wherewithal to do that, though. I I don't know how blessed they were financially, but they had the wherewithal to do something, and they did. And all she wanted to do was just bless this man. She never asked for anything in return. And I don't know how many times he, he stopped by, but it was probably frequent that, that he was stopping by. And one of the times that, 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 that he was there, he, he turns to Gehazi, his, his servant, he goes, what can we do for her? See, she never asked for anything. She just wanted to bless somebody. She just wanted to take care of somebody. But he said, what can we do to bless her? And, and, and his servant said, wow, she doesn't have a son. And her husband's kind of old. <laughs> Maybe they need a son. And, 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 and when, when she comes back, when he calls her back, he says, hey, man, by this time next year, you will have a son. She's going, hey, don't mess with me, man. I'm kind of getting old, too. <laughs> My husband's an old geezer. And I don't know if that's ever going to happen. He says, man, you're going to have a son. And I think deep down in her heart, she's going, I never asked for a son. I know, I know my lot in life. I'm cool with it. We're okay. And sure enough, a year goes by and she has a son. And you can imagine, you know, having this, this, this son after all these years, however, the, what had happened in her life. And it, it was kind of a tragic thing not to have a son. But here, here she finally gets blessed with the son. And again, all they wanted to do was bless one another. And isn't that such an amazing thing? Here, here she's blessing this prophet, and the prophet's going, I want to bless her back. And I just think, man, that is the way we should always be thinking. That we just want to be a blessing to people, however we can, to be a blessing to other people. And I know that sometimes when somebody wants to bless you, when somebody wants to to do something for you, it's kind of, especially if you're the type that is always giving and giving when they want to give back to you, you're going, no, 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 don't, like, don't, man, don't do stuff like that. And so here we have this these two parties that are kind of wanting to just bless each other. And she finally gets the blessing of this son. And this blessing turns into a tragedy because tragedy hits this family. It doesn't tell us how old the boy is, but but he he can't be all that old. But he's old enough to go with his dad into the field. And it is in the field when 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 all of a sudden he's he 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 tells his dad my head, my head. And the dad sends the kid back by a servant and and if you were here for that story, if you know the story, the kid he dies. And it's like, man, this whole thing, man, that 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 was supposed to be a blessing turned into a tragedy. And now this kid is dead. And she wants to go and and find Elisha and not so much to let him have it but 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 she's she finally gets to him and she says, "I never asked you for a son. And now this has come upon me." And I don't think she's doing it in a bad thing. She's just going, "Man, this thing just hurts." And God uses this man to go back and raise this kid back up. Now, I bring all that story back up because, again, we hadn't heard from her for a while. And, 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 and what's going on in, in this incident here, you know, she, she had no clue 
what what the outcome would be if her son would come back to life or not. But but he did, and that was a blessing again. And and he he grew. But now we're we're several chapters later, and God is still ministering to them, even though we hadn't heard from them for a while. And the time frame here is somewhat sketchy. It was hard for me to follow this timeline here. It's kind of unclear. But be that as it may, God had not forgotten about them. It seems as though Elijah was probably still coming over to their house. To his little chateau there, you know. And, and, and God ministers to him and says there's a famine coming. And it doesn't tell us that he did this to anybody else, but he goes to this particular family. And all of a sudden he says, hey, you need to arise and go. Go wherever you need to go. Go go out of this place because there's a famine coming. And by the way, it's going to last for seven years. These people had just been going about their life. Now, I don't know if it was right after this whole incident happened that 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 God was just still ministering to them in such a powerful way, or, or it could have been some time that has gone on, but somehow God's going to minister to this family, this family that I believe, as I'm looking at this, they, they were just living their life. They had property. They were growing things. They were going out in the field, harvesting. So they had property. They had the wherewithal to do all this stuff. And they were just living their life. And 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 I'm sure they were they were continuing to... To, to do what they were supposed to do in the Lord. And now, as they're going on and doing life, there's, there's another incident that happens, and that's this famine. And it's going to touch their property, probably. And God's going, here, I need you to go and speak to them, to get out of the way, to go away from here, because it's going to last longer than, than these people really need to go through. So I'm going to take them all out. But I'm going to displace them. I'm going to I'm going to put them somewhere away from home. No, notice that in in this little short story from them, as as he talks about their household, it, it never talks about her husband, and it could be that he's still alive, but it's quite possible that he is not. But he says you need to uproot your family. The Lord had called for a famine. And, and I find that fascinating as well because oftentimes, you know, we, we live in California. We've gone through a drought for several years. And God had called for a famine in the land here. But most of it had to happen because of the disobedience of the northern kingdom of the nation of Israel. And the way that they were had been conducting their their their, their lives, that, that he calls for this famine, but this particular family he is taking out of the way. He is taking them out of the way. And, and and again, as you look at this, you're going, you know, God is the God of all creation. He He is the God over the weather, He is the God over the seasons, He is the God over the climate, He is the one that controls it, not us. As, as men, we can we're not that powerful to change climate. We really are not. God is in control of all that stuff and He will take care of it and He will change it when He sees fit or when He needs to do something. But He is the one that calls for this change of weather. 
to where they are going to be in a famine. And he is going to use this famine to bring the nation of Israel to their knees. He's going to get their attention through this famine. And again, he's allowing it because of the disobedience. But the fact of the matter is that that we, in this state, as I was thinking about this, I thought, man, we've we gone through a pretty hardcore drought. And it is only a miracle of God that He gave us this much rain to kind of get us over a hump or, or, or over a little bit. Because do we deserve it? No, as a people, we don't. We don't deserve anything, man. He should just destroy us. But for some reason, He allowed it to rain this year and not the years before. And I'm just thinking, Lord, is this kind of a miracle? Could it be? Are you doing stuff like this for those few that serve you, that have a heart for you, that, that you just are going, you know, it's going to happen all over. People are going to be hurting, but I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to make sure that you get what you need. I was just reading the other day an article that, that, that again, they've gotten so much snowpack up north that it's almost like, man, it's ridiculous that we should be even thinking of getting out of a drought, you know, because this should have been like this forever. And I would have said, amen, we're a wicked, not only country in a lot of ways, but a state, you know, that really doesn't care about God. And why would he even think about us? And so to me, I just believe it's a miracle. <laughs> and and it, could it be, is it possible that he is blessing those who maybe have been praying, maybe seeking the Lord, going, Lord, show up again. Do something in our lives. And, and hopefully this speaks even to the non-believer. That God is faithful. In Deuteronomy 11, 16 and 17, he, he said this to the, to the nation of Israel as a whole. He says, Take heed to yourself, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you. And he shut up, the heavens, so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Again, God God would use stuff like this in the nation of Israel's life to get their attention when, when they turned from Him. And, and as we have studied and as we have been seeing that the northern kingdom, I think they're into their like seventh king. Not one of them, not one of them has done right in the sight of the Lord. They've done all done evil. And, and, and it's a miracle that he hasn't destroyed them. And it, it will be still some more kings in front of them and maybe another couple hundred years, another hundred years or so before God truly just takes them out of the land. And even though the nation was going to go through the woodshed, this faithful family was warned by God. This faithful family was taken out of the situation. This faithful family was taken care of and taken out of the way, protected, if you will, by God Almighty. And and again, you have to think, why this family and not anybody else? It doesn't say that anybody else. And again, there's always been this remnant, this small little group of people that God just kind of keeps his hand upon. And this particular story has to do with these people. Seven years is a long time 
for a famine. But in this time frame that, that we have covered from chapter 4 on to chapter 8 here, we have heard of famine in the land several times. And, and, and it could be that, that it was in that time frame that all this is happening. And now seven years is, is past. Now, now it's time for this woman to come home. And God has take, taken care of them, but her heart is to come back home to her land to take care of her household. And in verses 3 to 6, it, it says, It came to pass at the end of seven years that the woman returned from the land of the Philistines. And she went to make an appeal to the king for her house and her land. After a long seven years, and, and her wanting to come back to her home, to her property, to her country, it seemed like there had been some people who had kind of come and taken over her, her 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 land, her house, some squatters, if you will, which was not out of the ordinary for people to do, especially if they're desperate for 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 you know something, <laughs> and 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 so she comes to appeal to the king, and the king more than likely right now is Joram, the son of King uh, Ahab. And he's talking to Gehazi, Elisha's servant. Now, now here's where it kind of gets a little sketchy because it's like, okay, when did this happen? Because in chapter 5, was it, uh, where Gehazi uh, got leprosy because of the situation of, of lying and, and stuff and the leprosy that was on Naaman came upon him and the leper, would, for the most part, would be outside the city, would be away, and there's no reason for him to be with the king. And so the time schedule is, is, is the time frame is, is kind of like, oh, when did it happen? But it's quite possible that, that he was in remission or something. I don't know. And, and, and maybe he came. But, but regardless of the fact, whichever way it is, whether it was before or after or whatever, but the fact of the matter is that the king at this time is inquiring about Elisha and the great things that he had done. And Gehazi was eyewitness to a lot of these things that, that Elisha had been doing. And for some reason, this guy now is in the palace whether he was called or he was working there now after uh, Elisha had, had let go of him. But here he is. And I don't think that the king is inquiring about Elisha out of conviction. It's like, man, I really need to get right with the Lord and I need to hear the stories of God and, and the stories that God is doing through this man. I think it's more out of curiosity. Wanting to know what's out there, who's out there, what's been going on. And it just so happened that Gehazi is telling the king about the time that Elijah had restored this dead kid to life. And I'm sure he went through the whole scenario like I did earlier. And how it got to this moment. And at the very moment, the very moment that he is telling him about the story, this lady walks in with her son. And he's going, are you kidding me? This is the one I'm telling you about. That story, I'm just telling you, she's right here. That's the kid that was dead and now alive. 
Again, I could get excited about those things because I, I just see that, that you're looking at this and you're going, man, what an amazing coincidence this is. Or should I say, this is kind of the way God kind of works, man, when he, he kind of coincides things together and just kind of brings stuff together that you're going like, this is a trip. How can this be happening right now? I was talking about it. I was thinking about it. We we're doing this and lo and behold, and guys, I guess I'm, I'm just, it just seems like this week has been one of those weeks. And then I read the story. I'm going, you're kidding me that things are happening. They're going, Lord, this is amazing. I was just thinking this. I was just talking to them. I was just this or I was just that. And I'm going, Lord, with all the stuff that has gone on in, in, in the, in the body here, <laughs> There's so much, you know, that I could be bummed out about. He shows me his faithfulness this week. And then I get into this story and I'm going, this is crazy. Because this woman, whether her husband is there or not, she still has her son. But God is faithful to meet her right where she's at. He takes her out of the way, protects her, brings her back at the very moment that God that or the king is hearing about her story and then the the at the end of this whole little thing she gets everything back then some but i'm thinking and again you know i don't want to get all ooh but i'm thinking man isn't that amazing that some of our tragedies some of our 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 stories some of the things that we go through that at the moment we're going how is this thing going to turn out that God can use those kinds of stories years later. And maybe not from your mouth, from somebody else's mouth. That they're telling somebody, I know a guy or a girl. I know this family that has gone through whatever they've gone through. And they're telling somebody and they're going, that's them right there. This is the walking miracles right here. And, and I'm sure she's going like, what's going on? But isn't that interesting that sometimes God can use a tragedy in your life that at the moment you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You don't know how it's going to play out in the long run. But at the moment you're going, I don't know how God can fix this. And then he shows himself strong. And now there's a testimony that's coming with this story that you get to share with other people. Or other people are sharing it about you and you have no clue. Because you see, when she is making her way back, she has no clue what's going to happen. When she gets back into the country, back to, to, to her hometown, and she gets close to her town or close to her property, and she's seeing people on it, she gets to her house and is like, man, there's some squatters here, man. How am I going to get my property back? And as she makes an appointment or however it is to get an audience with the king, the moment that she gets there, her name has already been mentioned to the king. Things are already flowing. His mind is already going. And then this happens. And again, this is where I'm thinking, "Ah, I don't want to get all mystical, but I will. That there are times where you think, Lord, I don't know what's happening, but your name somehow is being mentioned to the King of Heaven. 
somehow maybe somebody is praying for you and they've mentioned your name and they've brought your name up before the king. And the king is having a conversation about you. God the king, God the king man, he, he knows every situation. And this lady comes in and he has, she has no clue that she has been talked to before the king. And the king goes, here, let me bless you. Let me t- t- tell me the story. Let me hear it from your own lips. Let me hear what you've gone through. Let me hear what, 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 what's happened in your life. And then, and then this woman, he, she just gets blown away in her life. This is how important, guys, you are to God. That He knows everything about you. He knows the difficulties. He knows the trials. He knows the tragedies. Those things that in your life at one point were blessings. And man, life took a turn. And and man, you end up in the situation. And and you're going, "Ah, man, what's going to happen? How is it going to happen? And God's already gone before you. Again, man, you see that this, this prophet goes to this woman and says, you need to get out. Seven years of a long trial, <laughs> right? Some of you guys have faced those kinds of trials. Of having to go through life. And you're going, Lord, I'm displaced. I'm out of my place. I'm not, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I know that. But somehow you're taking care of me. And, and, and when, you, when, you, when you come before this, this, this arena and God already knows everything about you, as a matter of fact, it's like, man, you, you go and pray, man, and God's already like been answering. He's already gone before you. He's already taken care of the situation. I, I, I love the way the New Living Translation puts verses 5 and 6. Let me read it for you. And it says, And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elijah had brought a boy back to life. At that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make an appeal to the king about her house and land. Look, my lord, the king, Gehazi explained, here is the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. Is it true? Verse 6, the king asked her. And she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. What an amazing little portion of Scripture here, man. That, that, that when you feel that things just aren't going your way, that when you feel like, man, I don't know how this is going to play out. I really don't know if God really even cares about me right now. Because it just seems like this trial is dragged on for two days. <laughs> Can you imagine seven years? We go through a trial for two days, a week, a month, and we're going, man, God just hates me. He just hates me. And yet there's some brothers and sisters who go through trial after trial and it just seems like they can't get above the water, man. And it's just years upon years and there's seasons that are happening. God has not forgotten. He has not forgotten you. 
He is faithful. He is always faithful. And as I was going through this, I'm just being reminded of his faithfulness. And to me, it was just on full display right here. On full display. God always hears you. Whatever hard times you might be going through, whatever dry times, God will use them for his glory. And sometimes he allows you to share that testimony and then there's other times that other people are sharing your testimony because they've seen you go through it. They've seen you go through it and they're going, I don't know how they did it, but I know a friend. I know some people. Verse verse 7 says, Then Elijah went to Damascus and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, the, the man of God has come here. And the king said to Hazael, Hazael, Take a present in your hand and go to meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease or sickness? And Hazael went to meet him and, and, and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? And Elijah said to him, Go say to him, you shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed. And the man of God wept. And Hazael said, why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. And you will dash the children and rip open their women with children. So Haziel said, What? But what is your servant? A dog? that he should do this gross thing? And Elijah answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. Then he departed, then he departed from Elisha and came to his master, who said to him, What did Elijah say to you? And he answered, He told me, you shall recover. You shall surely recover. Stop. Let's stop. Don't read ahead. Don't read verse 15. Look up here. Don't look. Some of you guys are like, I'm going to look. Don't look. It's a surprise. (laughs) Stop. Don't. All eyes. (laughs) I I want to have you guys in suspense. Especially if you don't know the story. Pretty hardcore. And now you're going, let me see. Don't. So so here we have Elisha. 
He, he's, he's been part of the northern kingdom. And Syria is right to the, to the east, to the, to the northeast right there. And Damascus is a little ways up, but, but it's, it's been like the capital of, of Syria for like ever, right? And so he makes his way over there. Now, now th- this is a pretty brave thing that he's doing because he, he has been used many a times to fort off some of the, some of the plans of the Syrians. A couple of chapters ago, we saw that, that, that the Lord was revealing to him everything that the king was saying, even in his bedroom, the guys told him. He reveals to this man what you say in your bedroom. And so where, wherever they were planning to be, then Elisha would tell the king, hey, that's where Syria is going to be. And so he's like, ah, oh, ah, oh, you know, he couldn't get it there. And then he finally go, well, go get him here so I can like kill him. And then, and then when they go to him, he blinds all the people. You remember the story. And, and he takes them over to, to Samaria. And so again, it's pretty a brave thing that he would go up over there. On the other hand, is it possible? Could it be? that this king, the king of Syria, Ben-Hadad, had asked for him to come. After all, if you remember one of the other stories, one of his main commanders had leprosy, Naaman, and he had sent for him, or he had sent him down there so that he could heal him. And he got healed. And now he's sick. Now he's dealing with some sickness here, and he needs a healing. So whichever the case is, Elisha finds himself in Damascus. And I would say, it is the Lord who took him to Damascus. However the case may be, the Lord was with him. Because the Lord was going to use him. And again, I often look at things like this and I'm going, okay, however the situation is in our life. If we're doing what we're supposed to be doing in our life, being faithful to the things of God, like like serving Him and and, and praying and, and reading His Word and just doing the things that we know to do, then whichever way we go, we should always say, the Lord has led me here. Unless you're in total disobedience and you're like totally out of God's will. But if you're in God's will and you're doing the simple, the practical, the humble things, regardless Whichever way you go, it's like the Lord's there. The Lord will use you. So however it is that he finds himself in Samaria, in Damascus, he was there because the Lord was going to use him to predict or to prophesy who would reign over Samaria. Once again, the Lord is is the God of Israel. But he is the Lord over all the earth. Israel was his nation. That, 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 he was married basically to Israel. To that, to that plot of land, the small country there. But God is the God of, of all the earth and he still does things in other countries, whether they're Christian or not. (laughs) Whether they're seeking him or not. Samaria was, or, or Syria was not a God, it was a heathen nation. And yet God is still concerned about them and He will send people to them to minister to them. I love the fact that, that again, God, even though we are His people, He still loves the people outside this church or outside the the Christian community. He is their God as well. Oh, they might be at war with Him, but they are still made in His image. He still wants them. He still cares for them. He still knows what's going on there in their lives. So God God knows what's going on in Syria and what He has to do 
to put this man in place. And so when Ben-Hadad heard that he had gotten there or that he was there, this heathen, this non-believer, wants to inquire of the Lord because he knows Elisha's character. I love that. Elisha was a, a, a very straightforward man. He didn't beat around the bush. And, and, and here you have this, this unbeliever who knows that man's character because he's a man of God. And they even call him the man of God. And so when he is sick, when push comes to shove, when death is knocking at your door, all of a sudden, even the non-believer is going, well, maybe if there is a God out there, maybe I should reach out to him. And that's why, guys, we should always have a heart to reach out to people because people are hurting. And they could just slap you around and say, I don't want your Jesus and this and that. But I could guarantee you, you continue to be a, a Christian with character that's consistent in who God is. And when they're facing trials, tribulations, life and death situations, I could guarantee you, man, if you've been that person in their life that they can count on, they'll turn to you. Just like this man is doing here. He's willing to call out to God. You see, Ben-Hadad had seen the power of God. He had seen the power of God not only when God would defeat his nation, (laughs) with this small little country. But he also seen the power of God when God used them to defeat his own people because of their disobedience. But he had also seen God heal one of his best buddies, one of his right-hand men. He had seen God heal. So he knew the power of God. And when push comes to shove, people know that there's a God. I don't care how much they fight him. God is faithful. He shows himself, even to those who who seem to be far far away from him. And I want to encourage you with this, guys. I want to encourage you that those foundations that you have laid in people's lives, especially your kids, because you're worried about them. And you're going, man, I I taught them all. It's like, have confidence that when push comes to shove with these people, with your family, with your kids, with your parents, whoever it is, if they have seen your life, if you've been there and been allowed to minister to them, they will not forget who God is. I can guarantee you that. That you just be confident that God is faithful. He is still good at being God. He is still good at being the Holy Spirit. He does a great job at it, better than you and I could ever. All too often, people turn to God because... They've seen what he has done in your life. People will come to know God because of that. Because they've seen the faithfulness of God. Whether you thought you were being faithful or not, they saw God work in you and through you. Because God is faithful. He is always faithful. And Ben-Hadad sent Hazael, one of his officials, and he sent them with gifts. And it never says that Elisha accepted gifts. If you remember last time when gifts were given to him, he was going, I don't need them, man. But when he finds Elisha he, 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 and he talks to him, he calls Ben-Hadad. Uh, he, he says, hey, your son Ben-Hadad is sick. Maybe to kind of sweeten the pot a little bit, you know, to, to butter him up maybe just a little bit. I don't know. Now, Ben-Hadad's, 
does as he is told, and Elijah gives him the response from the Lord. Is he going to get well? Is he going to recover? And he says, Ben-Hadad will recover from his sickness. In other words, what Ben-Hadad was going through was not going to kill him, even though maybe he thought it was. It wasn't that serious. But he says something very interesting. He says, however, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Now, this is not a confusing statement here. It might sound like that, but it's not. The sickness was not going to kill Ben-Hadaz, but he would be dying by another, by other means. And it says in verse, in verse 11 that he, Elisha, set his countenance in a stare until, until Hazael was ashamed. In, in the New Living Translation, it says, Elisha stared at Haziel with a fixed gaze until Haziel became uneasy. What an awkward situation. It's pure silence, and he's just looking at him. And looking at him, he's going like, you can see the shifty eyes in that cat, you know? But he is just like fixed on him. And he begins to weep. Whoa. <laughs> can you imagine if Pastor Gary just fixed his eyes on you and then he began to weep? Then you know it's serious. If I start crying, I do that all the time. But just, I was thinking of Pastor Gary because he never cries, right? Can you imagine if he just stared you down? Dude, I'd, I'd like, man, what would I do, Gary? Please, man. Blink, do something. That's the that's what this is an awkward situation going on right here. And all of a sudden he begins to weep and he says, Man of God, why are you weeping? Why 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 are you weeping? Man. He says, Because I know the evil that you're gonna do. I know the evil that is in your heart. Because this stare was like just looking right into his soul, it seemed like. And he's seen the evil that was in this man and the capability that this man had. And it's interesting because Haziel, this isn't the first time that we, we hear of this guy. He was mentioned way back in 1 Kings chapter 19. He, when, when Elisha had run from, from Jezebel, and when he finally snapped out of it and God got a hold of him in 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 15 and 16, it says, Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, anoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, uh, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, uh, of a, uh, wherever, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. The prophet Elisha had done one of those three things that he was commissioned to go do, and that was he anointed Elisha to take over. And it would be at this moment here that we are looking at in our text, that Elisha would anoint Haziel king over Syria. 
which is very interesting because he's not a prophet to Syria. That's not even God's country. Now, the anointing would not be a formal one, basically. But he is telling him what he is going to do to God's people. And he looks right down deep into this man's heart. And Haziel will do all that we read in verse 12. He will do that later on as we study in 2 Kings. But Haziel says, what is your servant, a dog? (laughs) That I would do such a monstrous thing? And it's not that he's going, I don't have it within me. What he is saying is, how can I do anything crazy like this since I don't even have any kind of position except being an official to the king? I have no right to do any of this. (laughs) But it is is as if the Lord had seen right to his heart, his wicked heart, his evil heart, that if he could, he would, and he would do it. He says, Elisha says, the Lord has shown me that you will become king. And so this was the formal anointing, if you will. You will be king of Syria. Now, knowing what Elisha knows here, he was not to do anything about it. And in his lifetime, before Elisha dies, he will see all of this happen. Which trips me out because you're going, how did you not stop it? Well, God didn't tell him to stop it. This was something that God had already ordained to happen. And he was going to use Haziel to do this to the children of Israel because of their disobedience to him. He would basically raise this man up to to do everything that we read in verse 12. And I'm sure it was hard for Elisha to see that. So Haziel went back to tell the king the good news. (laughs) You will recover. But he didn't tell him the other part of it. He didn't tell him, but you're going to die. Got some good news and some bad news, bro, (laughs) Instead, let me read to you verse 15 that you weren't supposed to read. And it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth and dipped it in water and spread it over his face, over the king's face, so that he died and Haziel reigned in his place. What a snake. Now again, man, I'm getting blown away as I'm looking at this going, was this man supposed to live? (laughs) Because he would recover from this. Again, man, I don't want to get into all that craziness because it's going to blow my mind. Because I'm going, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Was he supposed to live longer? And how was this? Well, the way it happened, it happened. And I just got to trust that, that, that the Lord knew that this guy was that evil. But he gave him the good news. <laughs> You're going to recover. <laughs> You're not going to die by your sickness. <laughs> And the next day, this snake, man, he goes and gets this this cloth and he, he wets it and he puts it over and almost to die a natural death, kind of, you know, just kind of stop breathing. 
Fisky, he suffocates the guy. So now, I'm just going to run through this next part to the end of the chapter, but it's pretty interesting. Dang it. In verse 16, Now in the fifth year of Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king in Judah, the southern kingdom, Joram, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat began to reign as king in Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king. And he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. Catch that. Because he's the king of Judah. But he, he, he walked in the ways of Israel. Just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah, the southern kingdom, for the sake of his servant David, as he promised him to give a lamp to him and to his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. And Jehoram, or Joram, as you would see it there, Jehoram went to uh, Zaire, Zaire. And Joram is the southern kingdom's king. And all his chariots with him. And they arose by night and attacked the Edomites who surrounded him. And the captains of the chariots and the troops fled to their tents. As thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day. And Libna revolted it at that time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram or Jehoram um, and all that he did, are they not written in the books of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And Jehoram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David and Ahaziah, his son reigned in his place. Now, I don't want to read it all. I wanted to read it all. But chapter 21 of Second Chronicles, you really need to read that because this what I just read to you. You'll get a whole chapter and get a better a better feel of what Jehoram did, because what it tells us there, I'm just going to give you a quick summation of of what happens. He had six brothers and he killed them all. He killed them all because he didn't want none of those guys coming after him. And then what was happening with the revolt of Edom and all those things that came against him, there was a letter that was written by Elisha or Elijah that talked about what would happen to this king, Jehoram of the southern kingdom. And I want to read you that portion. It says, thus says the Lord. This is chapter 21, verses 12 through 15. Thus says the Lord God of your father, because you have not walked in the way of Jehoshaphat, your father, nor in the way of Asa, your the king of Judah, his grandfather, but have walked in the ways of the king of Israel and have made Judah and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem to play the harlot like the harlotry of the house of Ahab and also have killed your brothers who whose uh, those of your father's household who were better than yourself. Behold, the Lord will strike your people 
with a serious affliction, your children and your wives and all your possessions, and you shall become very sick with the disease in your intestines till your intestines come out by reason of the sickness day by day. It would be a horrible thing that would happen to him. But understand this, at one point, he he married into Ahab's family, the northern kingdom, and he married Ahab's daughter, uh, uh, Athalia, Athalia. And that was a great mistake because instead of him influencing her, she influenced him. And when he died and his son takes over, now it's Ahab's grandson that is the king of the southern kingdom. And, and Ahab had been the king of the northern kingdom. So just to kind of catch you up there, in verse tw- uh, 25, it says, In the twelfth year of Jo Joram, and these guys are named the same, but one of them was a H-O, and the other one's Joram, the son of Ahab, king of Israel, the northern kingdom. In the twelfth year, Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, the uh, king of this, uh, of Judah began to, ra- to to reign. Jehazi, I've got it all jacked up now, was 22 years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Athelia, and uh, the granddaughter of Omri, the king of Israel, and he walked in the way of the house of Ahab and did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab for he his father was the son-in-law of the house of Ahab now he went with Joram the son of Ahab to war against Hazael king of Syria in Ramoth Gilead and the Sumerians the, the Syrians wounded Joram then King Joram went back. Joram went back to Jezreel to recover of his wounds, which the Syrians had afflicted on him in Ramah, when he fought against Haziel, king of Syria, and Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Joram, and all uh, the son of Ahab, the Jezreel in Jezreel, and he was sick. Man, oh man, was that tough. A, long t- a lot of tongue twisting there. <laughs> but all these guys, see, we're getting back into these kings, and there's the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, and the northern kingdom had always had the evil kings, and the southern kingdom was doing really good because they were following after the ways of the Lord until Jehoshaphat's son married one of uh, Ahab's daughters, and they started coming together. And now the northern kingdom begins to influence the southern kingdom. And now, by the time that Jehoram dies, the son-in-law of Ahab, now it's Ahab's grandson. There's some blood in there that now starts taking over the southern kingdom. And it just goes downhill from here. Oh, they will still have some good kings here and there. But it just begins to go downhill. And so we see the faithfulness of God in in the beginning portion of this chapter and how he just ministers to those who continue to seek his face and he will be faithful time and time again. But he is also faithful to those who are disobedient. 
See, the consequences, as I was sharing on Sunday morning, man, there's good consequences or bad consequences. You can choose life or you can choose death. And there's consequences for both. And this is what's going on as we get, and the narrative changes here, the storyline changes, that now we're going to get back into the kings. And so if you can, I'll try and make it as less confusing as I possibly can. But man, oh man, when they have the same kind of names and they're hard names, it's a little hard up here, man. Maybe I should have you guys come up here and read it, and then I'll just comment on that. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you so much, Lord God, for your faithfulness, Lord. Just showing us your your faithfulness with this, this family. Just showing us, Lord God, how you are just faithful all the time, Lord God. And Lord, even as we begin to see all the evil that will come about, Lord God, your word is true. As you've shown us through through, uh, through Deuteronomy chapter 28, that, that there are consequences for, for good and there's consequences for evil. There's blessings and cursings, Lord. And you're faithful to that as well, Lord. Father, help us as your people. Help us, Lord God, to desire life, to desire good, to desire righteousness, Lord God. And those things that continue to stumble us, Lord, please take those things out of the way that we might just continue to follow hard after you and the things of you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.